It's our prayer that you have come here today to this assembly with an open heart and open mind, ready to learn from God's Word this morning as we open up the book together and we study some things that hopefully I think can help us as we walk through life and we make choices and decisions as we go through life. I think this uh, man that we're going to talk about a little bit this morning, King Solomon, that comes out of the Old Testament. Uh, King Solomon was a man that had a lot of wisdom And there's a lot of wisdom that I think that we can learn from him. But King Solomon was also a man with a lot of questions. Questions relating to the purpose of life and the purpose of existence. Questions related to what's supposed to get you up each and every morning and keep you going. What is it that you're living for? What is the end goal of your life? And King Solomon had these questions and pondered these questions. And these questions aren't new. And they weren't new when King Solomon began to ponder them because really for probably every generation just about since Adam and Eve, these are the questions that mankind has pondered. What is our purpose? How are we supposed to be living our life and what are we living it for? And you know, throughout history we can see different people with different ideas about what life was about and I'll share just a few of them with you this morning. Plato believed that the meaning of life is in attaining the highest level of knowledge. That knowledge and education, knowing the most, that that was what life was about. Aristotle believed in the highest good, that is to achieve happiness, well-being, or excellence. Now, he nor anyone else could really properly define what that meant, what happiness was, what well-being or excellence was. But to him, that was the highest form of good in life, was to achieve happiness, well-being, or excellence. Aristippus of Cyrene believed that pleasure was the supreme good. That bodily uh, gratification was more important and was supreme over mental or emotional or spiritual pleasure. John Locke, Adam Smith, and others considered individual liberty the most important thing. And that included heavily the idea of being able to labor and work and gain and own and have things, property and wealth. Friedrich Nietzsche introduced the idea of nihilism, where he said, all that happens is meaningless. Life doesn't have meaning. (laughs) We're all just living for our own purpose, and there is no greater meaning beyond anything that we do. And as you can see with just these few examples, mankind has pondered these questions, and they've come up with all sorts of reasons why we should get up in the morning and why we should live our life. I want to talk to you about what King Solomon's conclusion about these questions ...was this morning. So let's talk about who King Solomon was. You may be familiar uh, with him out of the Old Testament. He was the son of King David. And in 1 Kings chapter 2 it says... ...now the days of David drew nigh that he should die... ...and he charged Solomon his son saying... ...I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong therefore and show thyself a man... ...and keep the charge of the Lord thy God... ...to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes... ...and his commandments and his judgments... ...and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses... ...that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest... ...and whithersoever thou turnest thyself... Now we see a peek into King David's mindset, don't we, about the purpose and the meaning of life. You see, King David, as he was dying, was passing on his wisdom to Solomon and saying, here's what you need to do, Solomon. Keep the statutes and the laws and the testimonies of the Lord. Walk after his ways, and if you do that, then you'll be prospered. And so that was King David's mindset about the purpose of life. But Solomon seemed to be a little bit of an independent mind and had to figure some things out for himself. So Solomon questioned these things throughout his life. 
We see in 2 Kings 2 verse 10 that David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron and 30 and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. Then sat Solomon upon the throne of David his father and his kingdom was established greatly. So King David passes on his wisdom and then he passes away and Solomon becomes the next king of Israel. Now, one of the fascinating stories with Solomon is that pretty early on in his reign, God comes to him in a dream and asks Solomon, or tells Solomon rather, ask me whatever you will. Ask me for whatever you want. And so what does King Solomon ask for? He does not ask for riches. He does not ask for a long life. He does not ask for worldly pleasures. What he asks for is for wisdom and discernment. And God was so pleased with that answer that Solomon not only received wisdom and discernment, but also riches and the things of this world. God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked thyself long life, neither hast asked riches of thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee, None like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And so because of Solomon's uh, asking God for wisdom and for discernment and judgment, God blesses him with that plus riches unlike any other king that had lived. And so Solomon became one of the most wealthy and wise men in all of history. One of those stories uh, about King Solomon that we remember from, script, from Scripture is the story about the two mothers who both had a child and one of them died during the night. And the other mother stole the son of the other woman and then claimed that he was hers. And the matter was brought before King Solomon because obviously they were disputing about who the child belonged to. And King Solomon, in his wisdom, charged and said, Bring me a sword that I may cut the child in half and each of you can have a part. Well, at that point, the real mother said, no, 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 don't do that. Let him stay with her as long as he is alive, as long as he's living. And thus Solomon found out who the true mother was and delivered the child to her. And so things like that illustrate the wisdom that King Solomon had. Story that we see here in 1 Kings chapter 10 illustrates the great riches as well as that wisdom that we also see with Solomon. This is a story of the queen of Sheba that comes to view the the wisdom as well as the riches and the kingdom of Solomon. And after she had seen all of the things about Solomon's kingdom, she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in my own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. And she said, You are more wise and more blessed with wealth than, than I had ever imagined or had heard was the case. And so this is who King Solomon was. But King Solomon, as we mentioned before, had these questions about life. And in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 3, we see him ask this question this way. He said, what profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? So all the work, all the labor that a man does in his physical life here under the sun, he says, what profit is there? That's one of the questions that he wants answered. In verse 13, he says it this way, And I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. He says, I gave my heart to this search. 
to seek out all the things under the sun. Everything about this existence, I wanted to know it. I wanted to experience it. I wanted to live for it. And he did at one time or another in his life. And so I want to talk this morning about three things that King Solomon attempted to live for. Three things that he spent his life acquiring and and making his purpose in the center of his life and his conclusion about those things. The first of those is knowledge and education. Now we know great philosophers have said that knowledge is the greatest thing that we can attain and that true success in life should be measured by the amount of knowledge that we acquire. King Solomon tried to live for knowledge and education. He said, And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit, for in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. And so Solomon said, I gave my heart to know all things, both good and wise and mad and folly. He said, I wanted to know it all, to attain knowledge of it all. And his conclusion was this in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12. And further by these my son be admonished of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Now if anybody here has ever crammed the night before a test, you know that of much, stu- much study is a weariness to the flesh sometimes. And there are nights sometimes you don't get much sleep because of the cramming that you're doing, the studying that you're doing. But Solomon's point was, of making books, there is no end. If this is what your life is about, acquiring knowledge, and that is your purpose in life, it will never end because there will always be more books. There will always be more knowledge to acquire. There will be changes. There are revisions to existing books. And then you'll have to go back and reread the revisions because now there's changes. Knowledge is a cycle that will never end and you will never attain it all. And so if that is the purpose in life, Solomon says, it's a vexation of spirit. It's weariness. It will not lend itself to happiness or peace or joy or those things that all of us want in our life. Now, does that mean knowledge and education is bad? Does that mean that we don't need knowledge or we don't need education? I'd submit to you, no, absolutely not. And that's not what Solomon was saying. Solomon wasn't saying these things are a bad thing. In fact, all of us here need to recognize that we all have certain levels of knowledge and we are all educated to some extent. When the word education gets brought up, people immediately go to college. But that's not what education means. College is one aspect of education. Education is simply training and learning and acquiring knowledge. It is through education that you and I have the ability to read and to write. Is education a bad thing? It is through education that you and I have the ability to do mathematics, to add and subtract and multiply and divide. It is through education that you and I can learn how to do a job and how to do it well in order to make a living off of that job. It is even through education, yes, at a higher level of education that you can gain credentials that may get you the job that you dream of or a job with better pay. There is value in education. There is value in knowledge. And to bring it to the spiritual forefront, we must also realize it is because of education and knowledge, even as simply as being able to read and write, that we have the ability to study God's Word, that we have the ability to put God's Word in our heart. For those in the past and those today who don't have that ability to read and write must rely on others to teach them and to tell them what God's will is for them. And so I don't believe that Solomon was saying 
don't acquire any knowledge, don't get any education. That's not what he was saying. He was saying don't live for it. He was saying don't make that the number one thing in your life. It's not your life's purpose. You will not be a success in life simply because you have attained more knowledge than anybody else. That will make you a failure. Solomon's conclusion was not that it's bad, but it can't be what your life is about. In Proverbs 24 and verse 5, and Proverbs 18 and 15, we see scriptures here. And the Proverbs, many of these were written by Solomon, the same man that we're talking about here this morning. But we see scriptures like, The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. These things aren't contradictory. He's not saying not to seek knowledge. Seeking knowledge is important, but knowledge has its proper place. Education has its proper place. And those things must be brought under the spiritual knowledge and dedication to God. Proverbs 24 says, A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in multitude of counselors there is safety. It would be illogical and silly to walk through life and say, I'm not going to learn anything. I'm just going to make random decisions based upon how I feel without listening to any knowledge or instruction. That would be a ridiculous way to live. Education and knowledge are important. But Solomon says, don't live for it. You live for it, it won't satisfy you. You can be the smartest, most intellectual, most educated person with the most knowledge of anybody that's ever lived. He says, it won't satisfy you. It won't bring you success in life and happiness in life. So what should we do with knowledge and education? Well, knowledge and education should be used to serve God. For in Him we live and move and have our being, Paul said in Acts chapter 17 and verse 28, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Now Paul was speaking to the people of Athens here at Mars Hill, and he was preaching to them. You remember the story? There was an altar with the inscription that said to the unknown God. And Paul is preaching to these people. He says, I want to tell you who that unknown God is. And as a part of his sermon, he says, as certain also of your own poets have said... You know what that means? Paul knew what their own poets said. Paul was an educated man. In fact, the scripture tell us that, tells us that Paul studied at the feet of a man named Gamaliel, who was a very respected Jewish rabbi at the time. For this time period, Paul was very educated. He had a lot of knowledge and a lot of training. Paul had the ability to read and write most likely multiple languages, including, of course, Greek, which he wrote the New Testament scriptures in. And so Paul was educated. Paul had knowledge. Nothing wrong with that. But what did Paul do? Did he puff himself up with pride and say that I'm better than you because I have more knowledge or education than you? No. What did Paul do? He used his knowledge and his education to further the mission of Christ. He used that to relate to people and to say, look, even your own poets have said this. And so he used what he knew in order to relate to people and share the most important message of Jesus Christ with them. And I would encourage you to do the same. And it does not matter what level of education you may have this morning. All of us are educated. It doesn't matter what level. Use that education to further the cause of Christ. Bring that knowledge and that education that you have down below in importance. God and Christ and the spiritual things of life. 
For all of these physical things like knowledge and education should in our lives be used to serve God and the spiritual. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 2, Paul said, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Paul said, I could know everything. I could have all the knowledge of all, understand all the mysteries. I could be so great in all these areas. But he says, if that wasn't superseded by love, it would mean nothing. And by love there, of course, he's talking about that godly type of love that we get from being dedicated to God, from loving God and loving others that way. This is the spiritual part of it that supersedes anything physical. Paul had knowledge, Paul had education, but those weren't the most important things to him. That wasn't what he was living for. He was living for God and Christ. And he said, you can do all of that, but if you don't have love, if you don't live for God, it's meaningless. And Solomon came to that same conclusion. So I want to encourage you this morning as you consider knowledge and education, do not make that the center of your life. Yes, learn. Yes, grow. Read. Study, apply yourself in whatever situation that you can. Work hard at what you do. Learn how to do things well. Get the training and the education necessary to accomplish those goals that you have in life. But never make those things the priority. And always keep God first and use what you know to serve Him. Solomon also tried to live for wealth and for possessions. In Ecclesiastes 2, verse 4, he says, I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments, and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Solomon said, I am a very, very, very wealthy man. He said, I got all of these things, all of these possessions, the silver and the gold and the servants and this, these great houses, that I, all of these possessions and all of this wealth. He says, I got all of that and I still had my wisdom with me, that wisdom ...that God had given him. But Solomon declares about all the great things... ...the wealth, the possessions that he has... ...but here is his conclusion related to all of these things. He said, "...and whatsoever mine eyes desired I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy... ...for my heart rejoiced in all my labor... ...and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought... ...and on the labor that I had labored to do... ...and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit... ...and there was no profit under the sun." He said, I worked to acquire anything and everything that I wanted. Great wealth, amazing possessions. And he said, you know what, at the end of it, it was all vanity and vexation of the spirit. There was no profit under the sun. Solomon's conclusion was that life should not be about wealth. That life should not be about acquiring possessions. And I want to tell you today, in the 21st century, in America, that is one of the number one things that I believe people live for today. It's acquiring stuff. It's acquiring numbers in the bank account. 
It's acquiring more, more wealth and more amazing things than other people. And I'll tell you, we ought to listen to the wisdom of Solomon when he says, if you make that your life's purpose, if you make that what your life is about, it will be vanity and vexation of spirit. You will simply be promoting self, but it will not bring you joy or peace or happiness or success in life. Now, does that make wealth or possessions a bad thing? Does that mean that we ought to take a vow of poverty and choose not to acquire anything? Not to carry money, not to own possessions, to live with no home. Some people have taken it to those extremes. But I don't think that's what Solomon was saying. And I don't think that's what the New Testament scripture is saying. That we ought to forego all possessions and all wealth. I think what Solomon was teaching was that that can't be what we're living for. Because if we do, it will bring us into sin against God. And it will cause immense problems in our life. We have verses though like Proverbs 10 and verse 4 that says, He that he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. There's some general truths taught in Scripture about what happens when you get up and work hard. When you get up and work hard, you will get paid for that work. If you're lazy and you don't work, you will not get paid. And so the simple reality of life is that when we get up and we work a job and we work hard, we're going to be paid for that. We're going to acquire things for that. We're going to be paid money that goes into our account that's used to buy the food and the provision and the housing and the things that we use to live in this life. Does that make that wrong? Certainly not. It's okay to work hard and it's okay to get paid for that work that you do. Matthew 25 and verse 27, Jesus, in many of his parables and his stories, he uses money as an illustration and he does so in the parable of the talents. And if you remember that story... He gave a certain number of talents to three different servants. And at the end of it, when he comes to that, that third servant who had hid the talent in the earth, you know what he told him? He said, Thou therefore oughtest to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Now Jesus was teaching a spiritual principle by using this story. But he was using something that's common sense, that the people of the day knew and recognized. That money that's just sitting there in the earth isn't being put to work. It's not earning anything. And so when you dig it up, you're going to have the same amount as you had before. But it was common sense logic to put that money at the bank or invest it in such a way that it would get usury or interest. And that when that Lord came back, he would receive not only what he had given the servant, but more. And so Jesus uses this concept of investing and this concept of saving, this common sense thing that they recognized. And Jesus never condemned this. But is that what your life's about? Are you is that the end goal of your life? Well, I'll be able to be happy and successful in my life when I have this many assets. When my net worth is this, well, then I'll be there. If that's what you're living for, it's kind of like the knowledge and education. You know, unfortunately, people get trapped in that mindset and they just want more and more. Because the reality is, once you get to that level... Well, why not another level? Let's keep it going. Let's keep building those numbers until the point that we die and don't get to even use it or enjoy it or do anything with it. And we've spent our whole life searching and seeking after something we can't take with us. And it does us no good in eternity. That was Solomon's point. Don't live for it. That's not what your life is about. And as a Christian here this morning, you ought to be ready in an instant if something terrible in your life happened and you lost every possession and all of the wealth that you'd acquired in life, would it hurt? Would there be some changes 
that would have to take place in your life? Absolutely. Would it change who you are? Would it affect your faith in God? Would it change your character? Because if you're living for God, if you're living with integrity, with character, with faith, and that's what you're living for, all the rest of it, it's just stuff. We'll acquire some more, or we won't. But at the end of this story, I'm going to heaven. And that's what I'm living for. Are you living for wealth and possessions? Solomon says don't do that. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 tells us what we ought to do with that wealth and those possessions that we have. It says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Now I want to make something clear out of this passage. Nowhere in here does Paul tell Timothy to condemn those who are rich. He does not say that it is wrong for people to have possessions or wealth. And that's right in line with what Solomon taught. It's not wrong to have those things, but it is wrong to live for those things. It is wrong to trust in those things. And it is wrong to hoard those things and not be willing to share and to give. And as Christians, you and I have been instructed to use whatever that, like knowledge and education, all of us have some level of wealth. All of us do. If we have anything to our name, we have some level of possession and some level of wealth. We have a responsibility as Christians to be givers, to love people, to share with those who have need. Remember, we're not living for it. That's not our life purpose. We can't take it with us. So let's use it for good. Let's use it for those things that are necessary in life. One of those things is providing for ourselves. We ought to do everything that we can in our life to provide for ourselves and to provide for our family. Because at some point, you won't be able to work. At some point, that income stream is going to stop because you're not going to be able to get up every day and go work. The scriptures talk over and over again about the importance of saving, about the importance of being smart and looking ahead. Jesus even used that in the tower illustration. How many of you seeking to build a tower does not first count the cost to make sure that he will be able to get it done? There's nothing wrong with that. We need to save. We need to think long term. We need to plan for the future to take care of ourselves and our family. But beyond that, we also need to be givers. We need to be ready to communicate, ready to distribute. And if there's a need and you have the ability to help and you withhold those things that you have that can help. James talks about that. He that hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have a need and does not give those things to him. It's not a good thing for a Christian. And if you're unwilling to give, you're unwilling to help those who are in need, you ought to check your spirit. Check your character. Check the priority of your life. Because as Christians, we ought to be willing to share and to give. Does that mean to our own detriment? Does that mean that we give away everything that we have so that we're living on the, on the street? I don't think that's the point of these scriptures we've read. Please understand that. Either extreme is illogical and it will get you into immense trouble. We like to talk a lot of times about how there's moderation and balance in life that's necessary and that's needed. And this is one of those areas. We must balance those things that we need in order to provide for ourselves and our family and our future, as well as the balance of being able to look towards others and provide for their needs. And so you've got to do that evaluation. 
But if your first thought is, well, I'd rather keep it over here with me, well, I'd rather not give, well, then check yourself. Because that's not what we're supposed to be living for. Passage in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. Jesus said, he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. You know, the old Egyptian pharaohs that would pass away, they would bury them there in the pyramids and they would put all sorts of, of gold and the treasures and wealth and all of this stuff there buried with the, the pharaoh. It, what eventually happened years later was those got broken into and, and a lot of those treasures were stolen by other people because those pharaohs had no use for it. Those pharaohs could not take it with them. They were dead. They had moved on to the spiritual, to the eternal, wherever that took them. There's no need for these physical treasures at death. Don't live your life for it. Live your life for God. Because one day, like those pharaohs, your body will be buried. And your soul will be in eternity. One place or another. And we certainly want to focus in this life on God and on Christianity, on our spiritual life, so that we can live for eternity with Him. Solomon also tried to live for pleasure and enjoyment. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 1 said, I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. In verse 3 he said, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine. And he gave himself to the physical pleasures of life, to try to enjoy life and to seek fulfillment and joy out of pleasure. In 1 Kings 11 verse 3 we see also that Solomon had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Now, many of these marriages were due probably to him making agreements and trade agreements and with other, other countries, other kingdoms, and that was established through marriages to daughters of these other places. But regardless of the reason, Solomon gave himself to enjoyment. Solomon gave himself to pleasure. You know what happened? His wives turned away his heart. It didn't turn out well for Solomon. But Solomon said, I'm going to give myself over to just pleasure and enjoyment and just living for the things that make me feel good, that gratify my flesh. Solomon's conclusion in that, I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this is also vanity. Solomon said, this also is worthless. It's vain. It's just self-promoting, it's just arrogance, it's just prideful. And it does not lead to the success, the fulfillment, the peace and the joy that you want in your life. Now does that make pleasure and enjoyment a bad thing? Should we walk around as Christians in our lives not enjoying anything? Not seeking any type of pleasure, anything that makes us feel good at all? Again, I don't think that's the point of Solomon or the New Testament scriptures or Old Testament scriptures that speak to this. I think the point is that when you live for pleasure, when you live for enjoyment, when you live for what's the next thing that I crave, the next thing that my body is passionate about having, that that's what you're going to seek out in life. That's what you're going to prioritize. And that is what is going to wake you up each morning and keep you going. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24, Solomon wrote this as well. He said, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Now Solomon in the same book, here where he's describing the vanity that is seeking after pleasure and enjoyment, he does also balance it out and tell us, but 
I do find this, that this is a godly thing and this is a good thing, that a person should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. What does that mean? That it is okay to enjoy the results of your hard work and your labor. It's okay to enjoy life. And he even makes the point for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? What Solomon is saying there is, is it somebody else's right to take your stuff and enjoy it? You worked for it. You put the hard labor in. It's okay to enjoy the fruits of those labor, of that labor. It's okay to enjoy life. It's okay to have pleasure. There are a lot of things that bring us pleasure, aren't there? It's not all bad. It's not all sinful. Now, certainly there are plenty of things that can be sinful that bring us pleasure. But I think about times when those moments of of pure joy and happiness, you know, when my children were born and I got to see them for the first time, that brought me an immense amount of enjoyment and pleasure, happiness. It's not a wrong, that's not bad. When these boys who are getting a little older think they can try to take on dad and we end up, you know, having a wrestling match on the living room floor, those are fun times. I enjoy that. When my wife and I go on a date and we enjoy each other's company for an evening while the kids are somewhere else and we spend that time together, nothing wrong with that. It's pleasurable. It's enjoyable. There's plenty of pleasure and enjoyment to be had that's not sinful and that's not wrong. Solomon's point was if you make pleasure and enjoyment the number one thing in your life, there will always be more. You see, if you give yourself over to the cravings, the desires, the passions of your flesh, you'll never be satisfied. You'll always want to take it to the next level. Just like acquiring more knowledge, just like a bigger bank account, you'll just want more and more pleasure and more enjoyment. And pretty soon, those things that brought you pleasure that were godly and that were good, that won't be enough for you. And so you'll begin to seek pleasure and fulfillment and enjoyment in things outside of God. And this is what causes so many people distress and heartache in marriages, in relationships. And it all boils down really to selfishness. To I want what I want. I want to appease my flesh, my mind. It's all about me. There's plenty of pleasure and enjoyment to be had that's not selfish. That's not all about me. And if we stay in that realm, I think what Solomon's trying to tell us is that we will be much happier, much more fulfilled, and feel much more like a success in life when we can enjoy and take pleasure in good, godly, and righteous things. John 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus wants you to have an abundant life. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to have those things that you need as you walk through life. And he wants you to be able to live an abundant life here on earth. That doesn't mean financially. That means in all of these things that we've talked about this morning and more. Jesus wants you to be able to walk through life satisfied and happy and fulfilled. But that only takes place if you're walking through life seeking him first and then not yourself. Galatians 5 verse 13, Paul wrote for. Brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. You know, there are passages like these in Scripture that talk about 
Some of those things and those liberties even in Christ that we have. And I refer you back to the, the discussion in multiple places in the New Testament about meat offered to idols. In reality, there was a right and there was a wrong there. Paul said, it's just meat. It's okay to eat the meat. It's just meat. But there were some people that had a conscious problem. It bothered their conscience to eat meat that was offered to idols. You know what Paul told the other people who realized that it's just meat? Don't eat it. Put them first. Love them more than yourself. Serve them. There are liberties that we may, be ha- that, that we may have. There are things that we may feel like we, we should do or want to do or have the right to do. But it's more important that we serve one another, that we love one another. The spiritual always supersedes the physical. And so even in matters of pleasure and enjoyment and things that we feel like, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to enjoy doing this. It's my right to do this. It's my liberty to do this. It's more important that I think about the needs of others first. And I sacrifice my own pleasure, my own enjoyment, or my own liberty to do something in order to put someone else before me. In Psalm 16 and verse 11, David said, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I want you to know this morning that being a Christian does not mean that you have to walk a life void of pleasure and void of enjoyment. That's not what God wants for you. God wants you to walk through life and enjoy it. But He wants you to enjoy it in the right way. And the spiritual always supersedes the physical. I think that's Solomon's whole point. In Ecclesiastes. Doesn't make all of these things bad or wrong as long as you put them underneath serving God and serving others. And you live with that identifier. You know, as we walk through life, I've also been thinking recently about how we think about ourselves. What is it that when we our first thought about ourselves, what is it that we think we are? You know, how do we identify? Is it our culture, our heritage, our last name? Is it the money in the bank account or the um, knowledge or the degrees or the, any of those? That, what is it that we identify as, as our, our thing, as us? You really, what should identify us as Christians is just that, Christ. And if we see Christ in ourselves first and we see Christ in others first, then that will help us to not put these things out of place. To not make these things more important. You see, what happens sometimes with knowledge and education, or with wealth and possessions, or with pleasure and enjoyment, is if we think about ourselves first, it becomes real easy to pick our nose up a little bit, to look down on other people, to feel that we are superior in some way, because I'm more educated, because I have more money, because I live a fuller and more enjoyable and pleasurable life, I'm better than you because of those things. That's what that lends itself to. You know what that does to a church? You know what that does to a family? When selfishness is your identifier, when selfishness is your purpose in life, it'll destroy your family. It'll destroy congregations. It'll destroy the church. But when selflessness is your identifier... When you think about Christ first and you think about Jesus coming down and offering his life for us in selflessness and if that's how you think about yourself and that's how you think about others you won't turn your nose up at somebody. You'll see a need and want to help. 
you'll see something that's lacking and say, what can I do for you? Because that's the spirit that Jesus had. And that's the spirit that you and I need. And I think that was Solomon's point. Don't live for these physical things. At the end of your life, those things will not mean much. But this will. Solomon's final conclusion in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13 was, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. I think it's important to mention that that word fear right there, it doesn't mean really be afraid of. What it means is reverence, respect, honor God that much. Put him as number one in your life. Make him the reason for getting up out of your bed every morning and going to work and doing the things that you do each day. Make God the reason. Make serving Him and honoring Him the reason. And if you live with that type of a spiritual mindset, then you will find yourself, I believe, so much more fulfilled, so much more filled with joy and peace than you ever will. If money is your goal, if knowledge is your goal, or if pleasure is your goal. You can enjoy all those things in the way that God intended if you'll seek Him first. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's a priority level, brothers and sisters. And so as we close the message this morning, I'm going to ask you to seriously evaluate your priorities. What have you been putting first? What dominates your thoughts? What dominates your goals and your planning? What dominates your discussion with your wife or with your husband? What dominates in your teaching to your children? What dominates in the ways in which you spend your time and your effort? Is it spiritual or is it physical? Is it selfish or is it selfless? And I want to encourage you to take the wisdom of King Solomon this morning. Remember that all of these physical and worldly things doesn't mean they're wrong, doesn't mean they're bad in their proper place. But if you live for them, you'll be unfulfilled. You will not have the peace, not have the joy, not have the satisfaction and fulfillment that you seek in life. If you want those things, those things are found in God and in His Son, Jesus Christ, who gave His life for you. And you have an opportunity this morning, if you're not a member of Christ's body, to choose to make Him your Lord and your Savior today. He wants to save you. He wants to wash your sins away. You have an opportunity to do that, to start your walk with Him, to start prioritizing the right thing in life. And we want to help you to do that. If you're here and you're a Christian, and you've struggled with these things, maybe you've prioritized the wrong things in your life, restore your relationship with God today. Make a commitment to Him that you will put Him and His Son, Jesus Christ, first in your life, that you will make sure that the spiritual supersedes the physical in all things. And we will pray for you and to help you in any way that we can to help make that happen. If